millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to Kill Count. Before we get into the podcast, I just wanted to mention that The Invisible Man is now available on streaming. Back in our first episode, we did a deep dive into the 1933 original Invisible Man film, but we also had the opportunity to catch up with the director of the new film, Lee Winnell. We all really enjoyed this film. We thought it was a fun, fresh take on this original property. And if you didn't get the chance to see it in cinemas, it's now available on streaming, anywhere you watch your streaming films. So go and have a watch. And now on to the podcast. Hello, and welcome to Kill Count, the podcast that dissects the deaths and some of your favorite horror movies. Each episode will attempt to remember the number of kills that occur and vitally all of the gritty details of these slayings. We'll also sprinkle in a few horror bonus features, including a spooky little haiku and the best B-movie recommendations. My name is Allie, and I'll be the Crypt Keeper this week. Joining me, as always, is Mike. Hello, Mike. Hello. And Dan. Hello, hello. So you both know what film we're talking about this week. We've changed our rules a little bit since we first started this season. We are talking about 1971's Play Misty For Me. This film is Clint Eastwood's directorial debut. He also stars in it alongside the incredible Jessica Walter. The most terrifying words you'll ever hear. Play Misty For Me. The screen's most frightening plunge into terror. Have to get you all nice for David. I hope he likes what he sees when he walks in here. Because that's what he's taking to hell with him. Play Misty For Me is the erotic thriller that tells the story of disc jockey David, who is being stalked by Evelyn, an obsessed and unhinged fan. Mike. What is your relationship with this film? Have you seen, were you familiar with Eastwood? Were you familiar with Jessica Walter? And also just the erotic thriller as a genre? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm absolutely familiar with the erotic thriller, that's for sure. <laughs> Do you know what? I think this was a first time watch for me, Play Misty for me. Um, I knew about the film and I knew that it always had this reputation as being kind of like the original Fatal Attraction, right? And I, But I don't think I'd ever watched it from beginning to end because when I sat down to watch it this week, I was like, well, none of this looks familiar to me at all. I don't know. I've got a bit of a mixed relationship with Clint Eastwood's films. I do think he's quite a good director. He's quite a, a sort of proficient director, but he doesn't always make the sort of films that I love personally. But it was actually really fun to watch his debut and see him take on a, a genre movie as opposed to a, you know, a Western or, you know, all the other stuff he's famous for doing now. So yeah, it was a, it was a really fun watch. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And what about you, Jen? So I watched this film about maybe three or four years ago, and it was suggested by my girlfriend's dad. Uh, so I watched it with him and my girlfriend, us three. What was he it, trying uh, to say to you? I have no idea. But it, whilst watching it, I was like, "Is is he trying to is he trying to say something? Is there a message here?" 
But anyway, I think it's quite good that Eastwood didn't go for a predictable film for his first movie. It was a, it's a bit of a curveball. Yeah, I mean, we can talk about it as we go through. For me, sometimes I, I do really enjoy this film, but sometimes I did feel like he couldn't quite decide what kind of film he wanted to make here. He was like, I'm going to make an erotic thriller, but we're just going to throw in some other elements and a lot of jazz, a lot of jazz, but, oh, yeah. um, <laughs> which we'll talk about, Dan, don't worry. But I also kind of just wanted to talk about the nature of the erotic thriller and kind of the history of this genre, because as you were saying, Mike, this is sort of a, an early uh, forerunner in the genre as we know it today, because I do think erotic thrillers kind of take inspiration from earlier noir films. Um, Hitchcockian films are definitely kind of forerunners into this genre. But I would say, you know, as you said, um, Fatal Attraction really kind of ramped up this appetite for erotic thrillers in the mainstream. You know, even if this film feels a little bit stale now, possibly, just think about how fresh it must have been at the time. I agree with you completely it's it's a bit weird and disjointed in places and there were these long kind of like romantic montages on beaches and stuff like that i think what the hell is this i think that it's got that vibe of kind of early 70s cinema that you see in like the french connection or taxi driver where everything feels kind of quite off the cuff and it's that kind of new american hollywood isn't it and uh, i really like that vibe that this film has got what about you dan are you a fan of the erotic thriller uh, I'm not actually. I'm a bit of a novice when it comes to erotic thrillers. So I was actually wondering it might be useful to, to do a, like a three or five films to get you into erotic thrillers for myself. Mike, seeing as you're the outed... Uh, oh, mate. I don't know. How, how did you put it? <laughs> let me <laughs> let me get my massive list out now. <laughs> no, some of them have, uh, Ali's already mentioned. I think Basic Instinct is definitely the high point of this era, but um, it was particularly big in the sort of late 80s, early 90s. I think it kicked off with Fatal Attraction, like Ali said. A lot of movies starred Michael Douglas, and a lot of them had Demi. <laughs> a lot of them had Demi Moore. Indecent Proposal is a classic. Uh, mm. Demi Moore and Robert Redford um, and Woody Harrelson. That's a good one. Striptease, also Demi Moore. That's a fun one. Showgirls. <laughs> Showgirls is perhaps the ultimate. Ah. Paul I've Verhoeven. Seen, I've seen Showgirls. You've got uh, A Perfect Murder with Michael Douglas and Gwyneth Paltrow. That's a good one as well. Oh, that is a good one. <laughs> there are, yeah, there, were, there was quite an abundance. It almost kind of moved into sort of teen movies with films like Cruel Intentions as well, which was a kind of remake of uh, Dangerous Liaisons. I mean, that kind of goes more towards drama than it does horror or thriller by that point. But they're, they're all kind of cut from a similar cloth. And then one that is undervalued but should be appreciated is like the less lesbian erotic thriller that was very popular in the late 90s. I think about Wild Things or Wild Bound. Bound yes. is so good. I I feel like they were definitely kind of playing on like the eroticism of two women being together, which is incredibly problematic, but also very fun to watch on screen. So Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, Dan, there's there's a plethora and uh, we can provide you a list after after we're finished recording. Please do. I want to <laughs> dive headfirst into this. Um, I, <laughs> I did want to pick up one thread that Mike mentioned, which was American New Wave. Because at the time, it was quite strange for a Hollywood star like Eastwood to make the transition from in front of the camera to behind the camera. In 1971, a lot of the big guns hadn't even established themselves. Coppola, Scorsese, Spielberg, uh, even Hal Ashby, none of them were established. And I don't even think Scorsese had made a feature film until then. So I think Play Misty for me is actually quite a fascinating 
part of this puzzle of the birth of American New Wave. Yeah, definitely. And it, it really, uh, you know, whether or not this was intentional at the time, it's really nice to watch now. It's just a little snapshot of the time, like the music and the fashion and the stuff that was good, the culture at that point as well. I actually quite enjoyed, in some ways, I quite enjoyed all of those random other elements just to kind of get a little snapshot of America in 1971, you know? Oh, yeah, this is a film of its time. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Some great shirts. Yeah, very groovy. Yeah. That jazz segment, I think, comes right after like a five-minute sex scene, which is basically like a music video, I thought. <laughs> yeah, um, it is. It is. And it's just like very atmospheric, very ambient, which I kind of liked in a way. And I think that, again, was part of this movement. Directors were kind of subverting stylistic and narrative norms of cinema at that time. And it was kind of nice just to just to chill out, watch Clint Eastwood naked by a waterfall having sex. <laughs> you know, one of the big films that launched this movement was The Graduate in 1968, I think, mm. or 67. And again, that emphasis on a kind of pop soundtrack and, you know, music and that kind of thing being as important, if not more, than the story as well. And it, it, it certainly has that vibe stylistically. Amazing. Well, I think we should get into it. But first, I have to ask you guys how many kills you thought were in this film. I know that you've already given me your answers and I must say, I think I'm impressed by how high they were. Mike, you you went you went for five kills in this film, <laughs> but you'd never seen it. You'd never seen it in fairness. Absolutely plucked that number for, out of nowhere. And I was about an hour into the running time of this film thinking, oh shit, this, is, this, was, <laughs> this was the wrong guess. Uh, but yes, I did. I went five. And Dan, you went slightly lower with three, but you'd seen the film before. I had seen the film, yeah, not for a few years. I don't even know if I'm right or wrong. Well, we'll find out together. <laughs> <laughs> so, as the film opens, we meet David, played by Eastwood, the host of a nightly radio program. During the program, he receives a call from a fan asking, in a very steamy, breathy sort of way, Play Misty for me. And then later that evening after his show, David is drinking in his favorite local bar and catching up with the barman, played by Don Siegel, who was director of the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers and also Eastwood's frequent collaborator. So that was really fun to see him in kind of this bit part when he meets Evelyn, played by Walter, who is waiting in the bar after being supposedly stood up on a date. Mike, right off the bat, what do we think of Evelyn? I mean, I knew because I knew what this film was going to be to sort of keep an eye, but uh, <laughs> she seems kind of cool to begin with. You know, um, I think I think she plays it quite well. It all seems quite natural and casual and unassuming before things start to escalate. Modern day viewers would know her as Lucille Bluth. Hmm. So it's fun to kind of watch this film now from a modern perspective as well. If you know that she's played this role, it probably makes her role in Arrested Development even funnier. David and Evelyn return to her house and she reveals that she wasn't stood up, but is actually the fan that always requests Misty and wanted to meet him. He is not creeped out by this in any way. And so the two have a one night stand. Evelyn starts to ramp things up quite quickly. She shows up at Dave's house with groceries in tow. They have this kind of bizarre exchange where they both sort of agree to have a no strings attached relationship, but she clearly isn't getting the memo. What I like is that it goes zero to a hundred and then back down. And I think that's what Eastwood does quite well is that he shows her escalating and like berating a neighbor that wants to sleep. Hey, people trying to sleep. People trying to talk here. How'd you like to tell it to the law? How'd you like to go screw yourself? And then he brings it back down and makes her look really innocent. You know, oh, I'm sorry. I just let my, my temper slip there. See, I, I felt like it was just once I, once I saw her snap once, I, I could see the glint in her eye going <laughs> forward and there was just no going back. Her, her little uh, doe eyes didn't get you around afterwards. No, 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 no. <laughs> I could see right through that. 
You know what else is with her playing this role? And I realize once again, this is all an understanding in retrospect. When I was about to rewatch this film, I almost had to remind myself for a minute if it was Jessica Walter in the film or if it was Jessica Lange. Because they both sort of mm. have the similar film trajectory where they've been known to play these women that are sort of emotionally unstable women. Mm. And then they've gone on to almost not parody that role, but be in roles that are self-aware of their previous works. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's, you know, I think these roles after a while, they do get a bit old, this idea of this quote unquote crazy hysterical woman. And, you know, it, it does get done to death in all the erotic thrillers, you know, jump forward a couple of decades. But also it must be really fun to do. And it must be really fun at the time for these actresses to do something other than just being I don't know, just being the wife or the girlfriend or whatever. Because, I mean, really, she gets to do some proper scenery chewing uh, in this movie, which is quite good fun. And also, I wonder that they make a throwaway reference at one point, I think, to Betty Davis. And I wonder if there's a bit of Baby Jane uh, kind of <laughs> influence in this as well, and which kind of also started off its own sort of niche mini subgenre of kind of, you know, dangerous, crazy old ladies and all that kind of thing. <laughs> so yeah, I saw a bit of that in there as well. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. When I watch a film like this, I have, I'm a two mind. Because on the one hand, I really love the erotic thriller subgenre. I, I just think it's so much fun to throw on and just get lost in. And I, I can kind of push aside the fact that there's some pretty unhealthy portrayals of women and men. I always, I keep thinking as well. It's pretty vain of Clint Eastwood to have made this film as his directorial oh. debut. <laughs> Him as this, like you know, this like kind of Adonis in his walking around in his pants, and this woman kind of madly in love with him and losing her mind over him. Maybe with certain other films they 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 get a bit more of a nuance because i think with this one like you said ali it kind of ramps up from zero to crazy in in five minutes and i think they could have maybe explored this a little bit more and done something a bit more interesting and innovative with it potentially than they have here i think the fact he avoids any real kind of exposition with evelyn is just telling that he just wants to focus on the genre side of it and make it uh, titillating and tense and suspenseful. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, also, you know, if we are going to be fair to the film, you don't get a lot of David's backstory, really. You do understand his motivations from a career perspective, but he's still kind of a blank slate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, though, we find out that David has been quite the ladies' man. Uh, he discovers that his old flame, Toby, has returned to town after seemingly attempting to leave him. It turns out that the reason Toby broke up with him in the first place was because he was a serial cheater and he was working late nights and Toby was kind of, she was sick of seeing herself as the jealous type. And yet he kind of places the blame on her because she had female roommates and she was, you know, quote unquote, giving him things to be tempted by, supposedly. And I, this is another thing where, you know, if we do have problematic female representation in this film, at least we also have the other side of the spectrum because it kind of churned my stomach a little bit, this first scene where he meets Toby. I don't know about what you guys thought. I mean, the gender politics in this film aren't, uh, aren't, aren't amazing. Evelyn and Toby are kind of two sides of the same coin. Toby has that quote where she says, I hated seeing myself as the jealous woman. You know, Evelyn is very much that type and she embraced it. Yeah, sometimes I think some of these characters, I think it would have made the, the drama more exciting and the thriller aspect more exciting had he just spent a bit more time maybe fleshing out some of these characters. In some ways, if you didn't know this was directed by Clint Eastwood, you could almost say that this film had quite an interesting sort of female gaze because there is a lot of just Clint Eastwood with his clothes off walking around and stuff. 
life. You know, there's there's kind of there's a fair amount of kind of equal opportunity sort of leering and nudity in this. But um, yeah, again, going back to the fact that it's him that's directing himself doing all this stuff just kind of makes it seem more vain than anything else. It does. It does. So as David is rekindling or forcing, some might say, his romance with Toby, Evelyn's antics get wilder and wilder. Honestly, I feel like we, we've we kind of talked about Jessica Walter a little bit, but some of these next scenes, I just feel like we need to wax poetic about her performance because she's just electric. She, she shows up, she calls up the bar that David frequents and she knows he's there. And when he finally does leave, she's sitting in his car and when he won't go home with her, she steals his car keys. Come on, give me the key. Come on. Having some trouble, lady? Get lost. Yeah, get lost, assholes. She steals the scene. I mean, she steals every scene she's in. And and then later that evening, David returns to his house and Evelyn shows up and just drops her coat and she's completely nude. But here's the crazy thing about this, guys, is that he sleeps with her again. Yeah. He's been trying to explain to her this no strings attached situation and her behavior is getting more and more erratic. And then he gives into it. And I just, I can't help but think, my friend, you've really dug your own grave here. The tone in this movie, did it ever tip for you guys into like dark comedy? Well, is that just me? yes, but I think, I don't think that that was directorial it's intent. Intentional, right. There were a couple of moments in the film that had some zooms. Some zooms, yeah. And I feel like the zoom was a thing of the 70s that was used for dramatic effect. And it just doesn't translate as dramatic to today's audiences. It very much is read as comedic. And there's this one scene in particular, which I think is coming up. He's chatting with Toby on the beach and then you get this... This oh, <laughs> and it zooms in and Evelyn is standing in the woods watching them <laughs> <laughs> it's so good it's so good but yeah I think I agree I, I think it is funny I'm not sure if it was intentional I get the feeling Clint Eastwood is being quite earnest throughout this whole film whether it's the romantic stuff or the thriller stuff I think he's he's making a serious serious movie here there, there is one other zoom that I'll mention when when it comes up in the story that I was honestly battling in my mind whether this was intentionally funny or not. So when we reach it, I'll bring it up and I'll see what you guys think. Okay. I also feel like if we're going to talk about things that might have read differently in the 70s while we're on the topic, we should talk about Clint Eastwood's Batman voice because he's doing a remarkable job playing Bruce Wayne. When he's delivering just really kind of banal lines of dialogue, he does it with this sort of deep intensity. Yeah, he's he kind of is like the original yeah. Bruce Wayne in a way, isn't he? Yeah, he um, again, it's just he's, it's it's of its time, but he takes himself very seriously. So we can, we've already discussed the scene where David is speaking to Toby on the beach and Evelyn then sees them. So now she knows there's another woman in David's life. So I think we are, we're reaching the midway point of the film. And I do feel like up until this point, while Evelyn has been erratic and her behavior has been inappropriate, there hasn't really been something that's been definitively awful yet. What do you want, Evelyn? What do you want, Evelyn? What do you want? Do I have to want something? Can I just come over? Or is it inconvenient? No, Could it be I've made a boo-boo? Could it be that someone has been sleeping in Papa Bear's bed? Come out, come out, wherever you are! I just don't know what to say to you. I'm sorry I mistrusted you. I should have known you'd never do anything to spoil it. To spoil what? David offers to take her home. He realizes that she has attempted suicide by slitting her wrists, which, you know, once again, was repeated very uh, famously in Fatal Attraction. I don't feel like there's any coincidence there that 
this is heavily inspired by that. And, and then David stays with Evelyn all through the next day and night, even missing his date with Toby. When he wakes up, Evelyn has left, but we are introduced to Bertie, who is a fabulous character, David's housekeeper. And she kind of gives him this hard time for living a partying lifestyle. At this point, David receives a call from a radio producer who wants to meet for lunch to discuss a business opportunity for David to host his own show. And so he is going to go to lunch, but... Then Evelyn shows up. My God, she's a little old for you, isn't she? What is this, be kind to senior citizens week? Get out of here. It's not that I mind you being a bastard, but do you have to be such a tasteless bastard? Scenes of public ridicule make me cringe really hard. I'm, I'm similar, Dan, and I, I actually had my hands over my face. I was yeah, like watching yeah. through the slits in my eyes. I was like, <laughs> what is going on? Because <laughs> it's just, I mean, it's so, she's so loud. She's yeah. so intense. From this point onward, you kind of know what you're working with with Evelyn and man. I love it when he just like puts her in a cab, but I was thinking, what's this cab driver thinking about all of this? And I would love to have just seen what that journey home was like for those two in that cab as well, because it's just amazing. He just shoves her in it and he's like, go on, take her home. Well, Mike, I don't think she went home because... Because later that day, Bertie goes to David's to clean up, only to find the house in a complete disarray. We get this moment where Evelyn springs out of nowhere with a knife and just begins stabbing her multiple times. But I do want to clarify that she does not die. Dan, was this a Zoom you were talking about? Because I feel like there's a couple of Zooms in this scene too. <laughs> I'm sure there are. The, the Zoom I was talking about actually was um, a couple of scenes before when she tries to commit suicide. And I think she overhears that David is going to go out for the night with another woman. So she makes him stay with, with her. And she she has her eyes closed and David is just like eyes wide open. And it's a slow zoom onto his face. I, I think slow zooms can be just as funny as those crash zooms. <laughs> and then it like fades from being night to day to show that he's been there, eyes open all night, and it zooms back out. <laughs> um, and I just, I was wondering, like, surely this was meant to be a little bit funny, even a tiny bit, because the way it's executed, this could be in, like, The Office or some kind of mockumentary. So, after Birdie is tacked, uh, we are introduced to Sergeant McCallum, and he and David have this very interesting conversation. When I was watching this, I was quite frustrated that David wasn't more forthright about Evelyn to the sergeant. He's very um, terse. He keeps his, his lips tight. And I think one of the other things I wanted to talk about as a theme of this film and kind of exploring Clint Eastwood making this film is that one of the themes that struck me was sort of this idea of private life versus public perception because Eastwood is just sort of making a comment here on public perception, maybe as uh, his private life as a movie star, but equally Clint Eastwood also had a career as a politician for many years. So he very much understood that kind of juxtaposition between your private life and the public persona. Yeah, I mean, it's so true. And again, it, it loops back to this idea that Clint Eastwood is making this film. You know, how much is he just making a film about himself, basically? Uh, this guy with this public persona and this private life and the problems with having a, a public life and, and everything else. It's re it is really interesting. And I think it fits this kind of new Hollywood uh, kind of era and and people making new interesting stories. And I think there's definitely an element to that. But I agree. I, I found it quite a frustrating conversation that he had with the police detective as well. And their whole relationship with each it's other is just strange. really weird. They kind of bicker like a couple in a rom-com or something, you know, like the more they chat, it's really strange. It's like by the end, as you say, they're sort of 
they're buddies, but they really don't start off that way. But then they kind of do because he listens to his radio show. And it was like, I just don't feel like as a viewer that was that relationship was laid out as cleanly as I needed it to be because I really, I never could tell where they were at with each other. I think the more we talk about this, the more I'm thinking that the characters in this film really are poorly written, quite shallow. (laughs) Yeah, bad. (laughs) Which is interesting because as a director, you'd assume Eastwood would be an actor's director because he Mm. is an actor. But it seems like it was the complete opposite. He, He really seemed to focus on all the other aspects of the film. Yeah, well, I believe I've heard from um, a few different things I've read and from different people talking about him as a director that apparently he has always and he still has this reputation as being very quick and efficient, um, which I think a lot of people consider a real good thing. But he is a one take only type of guy apparently on set so he will very much kind of get in and get out in terms of the scenes and the kind of the polar opposite to somebody like Kubrick or Hitchcock that will maybe drive an actor to the edge uh, making them do things over and over again he's very much a kind of off the cuff director apparently maybe that's come from being an actor himself I don't know makes sense so we're about to head into the last act the final third of the film but I think now would be a good time to discuss the b-movie of the week How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The B-Movie of the Week I've chosen is one that I think you'll be familiar with, both of you. Have either of you seen or heard of The Mangler? I have not. The Mangler, as in like The Strangler, rhymes with The Mangler? Correct, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I... 
saw it as a kid, I think. This has got Robert England in it, hasn't it? Has it got Freddy Krueger in it? It does. It does. That's right. Yeah. It's based on a 1972 Stephen King short story of the same name. Uh, the Mangler uh, is about an industrial laundry press becoming possessed by a demon and it starts killing people. And I watched it a few years ago and... It's a really weird film to get your head around because you have names like Stephen King, Robert Englund, uh, Tobe Hooper with like the schlockiest, wackiest premise. Well, Stephen King, when he was an up and coming writer, he worked in a laundry press. Mm, that makes sense. I don't know <laughs> if it was a good idea though. I think I, I like it because it's so flawed and Watching those people try to make this premise work is entertaining in itself. I'm, I'm intrigued. I mean, that's some big names attached to that from the writing to the directing. So, but it definitely has B-movie vibes then. Uh, I would say so. I wouldn't be surprised if some people contested this was a B-movie. But I think I think once you watch it, you can just you can just tell you can kind of feel it. But the thing is, I, I definitely watch it again. I'm not saying it's a bad movie because Stephen King does have that side to him, doesn't he? Where he just makes these really weird stories. Definitely, definitely, yeah. They can't all be hits, I suppose. But yeah, this one was a particularly weird one, and it's such a weird trajectory that Toby Hooper's career had as well, like going from. What I what I would consider the pretty much the best horror film ever made to stuff like this twenty years later. It's very odd. Well, I'm a massive I'm a big fan of Toby Hooper, but I'm an extremely huge fan of Stephen King, even even with all the clunkers thrown in the mix. So I will add this to my list, hundred percent. Please do. So when we last saw Evelyn, she was getting arrested. And she's now either behind bars or in a psychiatric hospital. And David is just living his best life. We're supposed to go to a party at Big Sur tomorrow night, and I'm supposed to meet you there at nine. Eastwood just hits the brakes. David and Toby are just communing with nature like they're Adam and Eve. But really, what do you guys think of this long, flowery scene? What a load of old tosh this was like I, I was like what is going on here this has been going on for way too long <laughs> i actually was really worried that at the end of it the movie was going to end as well because there was this like really long sort of helicopter shot going off into the distance and this sort of long shot of them on the beach and i thought please don't tell me the movie ends here that would be the worst ending of all time yeah didn't like it didn't fit in the movie over long boring I think this is Eastwood's idea of pacing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he had to just fill the running time with five extra minutes. <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly. But he didn't though. It's an hour and 40 minutes long. I like know. if he took that scene out and then maybe cut the jazz festival scene down a little bit, it would be a perfect film. On a theoretical level, one of the, comp one of the parallels I drew was that if you take Evelyn and David's first sex scene, uh, if I remember correctly, it's very brief, it's dark, and there's no music either which i found really uncomfortable and you compare yes. it to this one it's so like lavish and long and there's this climactic music i think that's what he was trying to do but he just went overboard it's like you finish that scene you think you wipe your brow you know you think okay well <laughs> we can continue with the plot now but no <laughs> hell no because then david and toby and al who we haven't mentioned up until this point but he's kind of the other swing in uh, radio host <laughs> who David works with and he's he's a ton of fun they attend the jazz festival that has been mentioned throughout the film that was the cannonball Adderley group and they're making it happen out at the Monterey Jazz Festival still got tickets for Sunday night 
So get on out there because that's where it's happening. Eastwood's completely shied away from anything resembling a cinematic score, and he's opted instead to either be completely silent or to have like casual jazz playing in the background of very intense scenes. Well, I mean, I, th- I guess we can start off with the fact that Eastwood is very much known for loving jazz. He made that Charlie Parker biopic with Forrest Whitaker. He has recorded some own jazz himself, I think. He's definitely scored some of his films. Uh, and I know that his son is uh, a professional jazz bassist. But in this movie, I felt sometimes, honestly, that it was like slight promotion for Monterey Jazz Festival because <laughs> there, were, there were posters for that festival in every other scene, basically. I mean, I have to say, uh, it takes balls to just to just have like five minutes of jazz montages. <laughs> I really respect that. Uh, even even if it's a little bit wacky and maybe ungrounded. In absence of score, instead, like especially in the final scene, which we'll get to, there's just casual jazz music playing in the background. And to some degree, you could say that that kind of dissipates any tension. But on the other hand, you could say that it creates a sense of realism around these things that are happening because it feels like real. It's felt very organic. And I feel like if it had a score that was a little bit more cinematic, it just actually wouldn't necessarily fit with the tone of what Eastwood was trying to go with. I I agree. So we kind of start to segue back into the plot here after the jazz festival. One night as David is hosting his show, Evelyn calls in, explaining that she's been released and that she's moving to Hawaii for a fresh start. Uh, And she also recites a line of a poem to him. Later that night, as David is trying to sleep, Evelyn appears, knife in hand, and attempts to kill him. Hello. Garver? Yeah? So as we call him. Sorry to wake you, but something's come up. I know. She just paid me a visit with a butcher knife. And for me, this was a really weird moment because I actually I actually stopped the film and rewatched it because I thought it was a nightmare. Yeah, same. It's really weird because if it really happened, then what happened? Where did she go? Like what? <laughs> I just I don't know. I mean, I guess that that might have been the intention for it to kind of feel dreamlike, but then when that when the cop actually shows up in the next scene, I was like Oh, no, what? (laughs) It was just really strange. And also, guys, we are now well into the film and there are no deaths yet. So how are you both feeling? Not good. Not good. Amazing. No. At this point in the film, I was I was annoyed at the amount of jazz and and romance (laughs) and then also annoyed that there had been not a single kill yet. I felt cheated, to be honest. Mike's not happy. So at this point, McCallum is trying to hunt Evelyn down and he and David decide that the best plan of action to get a hold of her is for David to wait for her to call during his nightly show. But David is worried that Toby is so isolated in her house and he feels like Evelyn might try to go after her. So he sends McCallum off to find her. And we also have this understanding that Toby, who's had this sort of rotating door of housemates up until this point, has a new housemate named Annabelle. And the whole time they're trying to remember anything that Evelyn has said that might be helpful to help track her down. And they're trying to remember what that line of that poem was that she said to him. And David has this sort of eureka moment. And he realizes that the line that she recited was from a poem called Annabelle Lee. Toby is having just tea time with her housemate. But then we have this great moment where Evelyn is just sort of framed by darkness and she walks into the light 
light and you as a viewer are just like bah <laughs> it wasn't a huge surprise to discover <laughs> that she was toby's roommate i like that kind of tension in that final act where toby didn't know but we did and yeah it, it was finally felt like it was kind of you know ramping up towards some sort of climax at this point for sure for sure and i think also one thing that struck me and i was asking myself this question throughout watching the film because i'd seen this film once before but it had been a few years so i'd forgotten the finer details i kept thinking you know a lot of these films they very much rely heavily on the relationship between the two women and yet toby and evelyn never actually meet. And for the whole time I'm thinking to myself, why haven't they introduced this element to the plot yet? And obviously now it becomes apparent why. Once uh, Toby realizes who Annabelle is, she has this uh, this moment where she sort of reveals herself. Um, we are coming up upon our very first death in the film. And Dan, would you like to take a guess at what that who that death is? Uh, it would be the police. McAllister? McCallum? McCallum. McCallum. So, so McCallum is doing his due diligence. He shows up to Toby's house just to check on her. And Evelyn just, like a spider monkey, she just leaps from the shadows and, and stabs him right in the chest with some scissors. He never stood a chance. He never saw it coming. Meanwhile, David is rushing to Toby's house. When he arrives, he finds her bound in rope, but still alive. And then we get this final climactic fight between him and Evelyn. And she's got the scissors and they're they're tossing and jazz music is playing softly in the background. Mike, would you like to tell us? who the final death is. <laughs> it is. It is Evelyn, right? Unless I've missed something else. <laughs> <laughs> it is Evelyn. <laughs> uh, which is this incredible, just like slight shove out of a window and then she just plummets like a hundred meters down. It's absolutely amazing. They're having this fight and then she just flies out of the side of the house. I mean, I don't know how you're, <laughs> how you're meant to construe that, but... It's really funny. Yeah. It was, I mean, in a fitting end for her. As, as the film is ending, David and Toby are sort of limping out of the house together and and as he had left his his show to come and rescue Toby, he'd put a tape on loop to keep the show going. And so we get this moment when they're walking out where David's saying, and here's Misty played for Evelyn or something to that effect. And it just sort of comes full circle. Mm. Yeah, I'll, I'll give Eastwood that. I like that ending. Me too. I thought it was a good ending. Yeah, <laughs> I liked it. <laughs> I mean, Mike, I can't really tell. Did you like this film? I didn't, Ali. I've got to admit, I didn't. Uh, uh, no, uh, do you know what? It had some really fun moments and had it just been chopped down by about 20 minutes maybe had it been a really tight silly kind of 70 minute film I might have enjoyed it more but I think there was a certain amount of I don't know pretentiousness here in what Clint Eastwood was doing and how seriously and artistically he was sort of taking it that it ended up just being a bit of an uneven mess to me unfortunately I I enjoyed it I think it's uh it's certainly flawed there are aspects that I really really like I wouldn't I wouldn't obviously rank it as uh the epitome of cinema but I didn't mind rewatching it I have to say I I wanted to make a shout and I don't know if you'll give this to me guys would you concede that there were very light elements of uh, Giallo? Oh, definitely. Yeah. 100%, yeah. Hmm. I don't know if it's just the time, you know, but the kind of there were moments that were dubbed and also hmm. the, the knife and the blood and the kind of um, operatic nature of some of those scenes with the, with the stabbing. It definitely felt Giallo. The unhinged yeah. woman as well. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I, you know what? I didn't really think about it until this moment, but 100%, 100%, I see that. Yeah. This is the second time I watched this film, and I'm not going to be in a hurry to rewatch it again, necessarily. I mean, if you like the erotic thriller as a genre of horror, and you're interested in sort of the evolution of 
subgenres within horror, then this is a really important part of that catalog to watch because it definitely is a key early example of what we consider to be a modern erotic thriller. Yeah, definitely. I'm really glad I've seen it actually. And it's really interesting to see some of the seeds that are planted there, like you say, Ali, in, in the subgenre that we know so well from sort of 20 years after this. And also you guys both got the deaths wrong. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I get the point. Thanks so much for joining us for another Death by Death breakdown of a classic horror film. For more Kill Count content, check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Kill Count Pod. You can also watch tons of great horror content on Fear, the home of horror, on YouTube. All links are in the show notes. Kill Count Podcast is hosted by Ali Penelope, Dan Yakuno, and Mike Munzer. Produced by Jake Cunningham, Jake Yard, Ali, Dan, and Mike. Edited by Jamie Maisner and Charlie Grace. Artwork and social media by Ugne Dereshkevichuda. And now, if you've stuck around, you know by now that we like to do a little horror haiku after the credits of every single episode. Mike, take it away. Okay, here we go. Cottage in the woods. Baby snatching monsters. Avoid rural island. Why do I never get these? This one is a bit more niche than the previous ones I've done. I'll read it one more time. Cottage in the woods. Baby snatching monsters. Avoid rural island. I feel like this could be a lot of films, though. It could. It could. Do you know yeah. My first thought was like Wicker Man, but I realized that that's not right. I was just thinking like rural. You're in the right sort of subgenre. It's a kind of folk horror, but it's much yeah. more It's much more recent than what I'm thinking of. This is 2015. Mm. 2015? Oh, man. I don't know that I've watched a lot of folk horror in more recent years. Dan, any ideas? It's, it's the island part that throws me off. Okay. Well, it's a, yeah, it's a 2015 uh, horror movie called The Hallow. It's really, it. it's really good, actually. It's creepy. And it is exactly as the, as the haiku suggested, a, a family moved to this little cottage in the middle of nowhere in Ireland, and they are attacked by these little baby snatching uh, monsters, kind of like fairies, I think they call them. And it's a kind of siege that takes place across one night in this house in the woods. And Michael Smiley's in it and a couple of other people. Uh, it's really good. It's directed by Corin Hardy, who's now directing things like Gangs of London and stuff. But it's, yeah, it's very good. Nice. We'll have to check that one out. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.